then we'll start. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for your wonderful gift, for the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord. And uh, may you be honored and glorified this morning as we study your word, Lord. As we see what, you, what your heart is like, Lord God, what you desire, uh, the love that you have for us, Lord. We ask you this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. I uh, gave a title to the message uh, this morning, Good News for the Ungodly. Good News for the Ungodly. And uh, I'm going to be jumping around a little bit, but I'm going to spend a little bit of time. The starting point is in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. So if you turn there with me. And in Romans chapter 1, let me read a couple of verses just to get us started, see where we come from, right? Uh, starting on verse 16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first, and also for the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as is written, the just shall live by faith. Uh, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness, men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So let me stop there and, and uh, we'll start from there in a little bit. Uh, thinking about the ungodly, right? Here in Romans 16, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, we see that they're put together, the ungodly and right, unrighteousness. They're describing the same person, okay? And... Uh, so most of the time I'll probably just refer to as the ungodly. So I, re- I say myself a word here and there. <laughs> but what is an ungodly person, right? If we were to define uh, and describe the ungodly, right? We see uh, the, the word, the definition of the word ungodly is one who lacks rever- reverence for what? For God. One who lacks reverence for God. And that... It means that he doesn't care about God, he doesn't worship God, does not respect God, doesn't do anything that is pleasing to the Lord. And we'll see that a little bit more later. And then the unrighteous is one who violates that which is right. The unrighteous is the one who violates that which is right. So to put it together, this ungodly person, right, is one that wants nothing to do with God, and nothing to do with that that is righteous, that is in accordance with God's nature, that is in accordance with God's word. Okay. So unrighteous are picked up on that word, a violation, that which is right. So we ask the question, right? What does the ungodly and unrighteous, right? What do they violate? And again, in verse 18, it tells us, that, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. And gives all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So what the unrighteous, what the ungodly violates is the truth. The ungodly stages an assault on God's word. The ungodly is attacking whatever relates to God, primarily to his word. The truth here is a, rever- is a reference to the revealed will of God, the Scripture. So anything that has to do with Scripture, they are going to attack. They suppress. It says they hold it back. They resist it. They oppose it. They challenge it. 
anything but accept the truth. Anything but be reverent to God. An opposition to God and an opposition to the truth. They are engaged in a constant battle uh, against the truth. In a constant war against God's word. We see that in our culture. Some of these things that is nothing new, but it's very common in our culture, right? We see a battle against creation, right? You are nice-looking monkeys. We are, <laughs> right? And that's what we want us to believe, right? We have, uh, so the battle against creation, the battle against marriage as defined by God. There is a battle against sexual purity, and they battle against God's pattern for the family. They battle against the value of human life. They battle against gender differences. They battle against morality in general. In summary, and they battle against the gospel, that's for sure, right? <laughs> so what we have is, uh, is, uh, is an attack, a force force attack, many faceted attack from different angles, all against the word of God. They suppress the truth. They attack the truth, right? Um, uh, we could say, you know, let's say, well, uh, that sounds like a conspiracy. Well, it is. <laughs> it is. And Psalm 2 tells us about, right? You remember Psalm 2, it says this, Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together. See, they're having a board meeting, right? And what do they do? They counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds. Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. You know what they're saying? We want to be free from God. God is too restrictive. I mean, I feel like a slave. I feel like a prisoner. He's got all these laws and this command. I want nothing to do with God. I want to be free to do whatever I want. A battle against the Lord God. Um, but, you know, there is nothing, nothing new about this battle against God and his authority and his sovereignty. Right? Where did this battle first begin? It was in heaven, wasn't it? <laughs> when... When an uh, uh, angel, a being by the name of Lucifer, said, I want to be like God, right? He wanted to take God out of his place, and he wants to assume God's place. So the battle against God is, goes back some time. And then he moved from heaven to where? To the Garden of Eden, right? And we see that. That the servant comes to Adam and Eve, in particular Eve, Adam was right there, right? But he's communicating, he's having a conversation with them to see what their understanding is of God's word. And then he says, the serpent says to them, has God said? Again, an assault against the word of God. An assault against what God has already Communicated, So we see that it's this, the unrighteous, the ungodly, is uh, carrying on on this battle against the word of God, right? 
And yeah, some of the things that we see today are things that we have seen in the past, years ago, right? But there is a boldness to that battle today. There is a, a growth to that war against God that is manifested everywhere, you know. And, uh, uh, but anyway, so yes, it's out there. <laughs> and that is because of the, of the sinful nature that we have within us, right? And the unrighteousness, the ungodly and unrighteousness, they function in unrighteousness, it says there in Romans. That is in the sphere of all that is evil and in all that is in opposition to the truth, right? So they're constantly battling against God. They're constantly battling against the truth. And it happens in the secular world, and it happens in the so-called Christian world. You won't believe how many institutions and how many so-called pastors and theologians are there who all they do is come up with ways to deny the authority of Scripture. To come up with ways to minimize what God said. Basically, they're going back to Satan. Has God really said? Right? The same thing. Challenging the authority the inspiration of the word of God. And so what we see, that's what the ungodly does. And John 3, 19 says, And this is the judgment that light has come into the world. And the people love darkness rather than light. Why? Because the deeds were evil. Okay? So in Jude, as to the description of these ungodly people, he says that these are persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So they turn the grace of God into licentiousness. You know, we, we can live any way that we want to. We are not responsible. Okay? I can do whatever I want with me, with my body, with somebody else's body, for that matter. Right? No care for what God has said, what God has done. And in 2 Timothy 3a, Paul Describes that the, this growth of ungodliness is a, is a characteristic of the last days. I, know, I don't know where in the last days we are. I know we are in the last days, but how far in the last days we are, I don't know. <laughs> how bad do things need to get yet? I don't know. Right? But they're pretty bad. <laughs> and they're getting worse. And... Uh, and um, um, yeah, Paul said in, in 2 Timothy 3.8, Just as Jans, Jans and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Talking about the same group of people, the same ungodliness. Men corrupted in mind. So their thinking is already defective and disqualified regarding the faith. Okay. And so we see that the ungodly is very active in anything that is in opposition to God. They hate the word of God. They try to minimize the word of God, to ignore the word of God, to put it down, to suppress it. Whatever technique and tactic they can use to say no to God, they will do that. They will do that. Now, however, that attack, that assault in God's words, against God's word, okay, is not without consequences. Uh, you know why? Because the Lord thinks highly of his word. God thinks very highly of his word. He says in Psalm 138, verse 2, 
He says, I bow, this is David writing, and David says, I bow down to your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. And then he says, add this, for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. Right? In other versions, it's a little bit different, but the idea is that God is, has, has exalted his word on par with his name. Okay, so the point is here that the thing for us is a high view of God results in a high view of Scripture. A low view of Scripture results in a low view of God. What we think of God's word, we think of God. Right? So if I think that God's word is defective in the original text, you know, I know we have translations, right? So if we think that God's word is defective, that it has errors, that whatever we may want to think about it, you know, that's what I'm saying about God. So what we think about his word, we think about God. So God thinks highly of his word. So there are consequences that we will see a little bit. And then we also see that God has exalted his own name. In Psalm, 1, in Psalm 8, verse 1 says, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. And we sing that song, right? O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. God's name is great. It's to be exalted. It's to be praised. It's to be respected. And his name represents his person, all that he is. So whatever I think about God's name, I think of God. Whatever I think about God's word, I think of God. It's one and the same, right? Psalm 148, verse 13, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above all the earth. And regarding the word, the Lord says, and you know these verses, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And in Isaiah 40, he says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever, right? So God's word is never out of season. It's like an evergreen tree. <laughs> it's always active. It's always available. It's always working. It's always producing fruit. But these people, these ungodly people, uh, their efforts are futile. They battle in a, a battle. They're fighting a battle that they already lost. They don't know it. They don't realize it. And you know, you're picking up on somebody that who you're gonna lose. You know, I remember uh, years ago, knocking on a door and uh, we were witnessing and talking to a young man. And this young man started to talk to me very cocky, you know, and uh, he did not believe in God. And I said, you know, uh, you are not as smart as you think you are and you're not as tough as you think you are. You will bow down. <laughs> you know, yeah, here, you know, people talk and they brag and they want to act big. But you know what? Time is not in our favor. Time is not in people's favor. In a few months, I'm going to turn 63. I know that I don't look, I don't look like a day younger, but <laughs> I will be 63, right? I'm going to retire in August for the second time. And I think, man, you know, I joined the military in 1980, and now it's 2022, right? 
So, wow, what has time gone? So time passes by, and it does fast when you look back. It's not in our favor. So the cockiness of people, the brushness toward God, you know, they will bow down. Every knee will bow, right? And every time we'll confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Okay, so there are two aspects on how they are involved in a losing battle, on a battle that they already lost. The first one, we see, when we see them both, well, not both, but we see one right here in Romans chapter 1, and that is, he says, when, and it's, it's by the phrase that God gave them up. Appears three times that phrase in verse 24, 26, and 28. If you look at that in Romans 1, verse 24, and you know, it comes in from verses 19 through 23, where it goes on to describe the conduct of these ungodly people, right? We kind of describe that a little bit. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness. Then in verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. Verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over. Okay. So we see that God is not taking this with his hands folded and say, you know, I'm not doing anything here. God is responding to ungodliness. God is taking action to ungodliness. So he gives them up. The emphasis here is on God's action. God is doing this. God is taking their hands off and say, you know what? You want to reject me? Go at it. I'm going to let you go and see where this leads you. See where you end up with this. And what is the end of this? Well, it tells us, first thing in verse 24, in uncleanness. So God gave them over to uncleanness. What does that mean? It's moral and physical fullness. Filthiness to sexual immorality. They rejected God's self-revelation in conscience and in creation. And God says, you know what? Go for it. So they go into this moral filthiness, into this physical, to immoralities, all kinds of sexual immorality. Why? Because they wanted nothing to do with God. And God is not taking this. You know, say, well, you know what? You want nothing with me? I'm going to be a gentleman and I'm going to let you go. Then on verse 24, it's another text that he gave them up. Again, God is active in here to vile passions, disgraceful and strong emotions and desires. Disgraceful and strong emotions and desires. And how does that manifest here in the text? Well, he says that the, these desires result in that women are going after women and men are going after men. Right? So then not only there is sexual immorality with the uncleanness, but this is vile passion beyond sexual immorality. Things that we, you know, we shouldn't be thinking about that now. Right? A woman pursuing a woman sexually. You know, a man pursuing a woman is, is the normal. That's the way that God created us. We come in with that desire. But a woman pursuing a woman and a man pursuing a man, that's unnatural. That's vile, God says. And he gave these people over to that. You want nothing to do with me. This is what you get. Okay. And then he goes on to say to the base minds in verse 28. You know, things are getting worse. Things are getting worse. Now they cannot even think correctly. 
do I call it stinking thinking? <laughs> right? Uh, you cannot even think correctly. I mean, how bad is the thinking going on today? Well, it's so bad that some people don't even know if they're male or female. I don't know what I am. Uh, maybe, you know, today I'll wake up feeling one way and tomorrow I'll wake up feeling another way. You know, the way that I look physically doesn't matter. You know, it's divine, you know, debased mind, perverse thinking, right? Unable to think as they ought to think, corrupt. Yeah. This is bad. This is the ungodly. Okay. So this is the present experience for the ungodly. This is what God gives them over. Now, the ungodly is like an extreme of sin, right? We all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in Romans, right, we go on to say that all the world is under the condemnation of God, right? Uh, they are not the only ones. There is, uh, there is the moralist who's under condemnation. The moralist is the hypocrite, the one that says, you know, you shouldn't be doing that. And then he does it, <laughs> Right? So it's a hypocrite, it's a moralist, but God says, you know, you are, you are without excuse. Then he talks about the, the religious hypocrites, the Jews, the same way. So, well, you have the law and you think that you're the teacher of the law and stuff like that, but you too are a hypocrite. You too are without excuse. And then by the time you get to Romans 3.23, it says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So indeed, we are all sinners, Right? But there is, a, uh, there is an aspect of that sin, that, uh, like, like an exaggeration of that sin, of that ungodliness, that, uh, call it ungodliness in this case, right? That is going to result in some consequences in this present age where people are alive, let's say, right? And the consequence is that God is going to give them over. You know, not every sinner is vile and, and stuff like that, right? There are sinners that would appear to be what? Ah, good people. You know, they go to work, they take care of their children, they don't cheat on their wife, they are respectful, but they're still sinners. You know? but those people, yeah, they are sinners, there is a condemnation for them too, right? But they are not presently condemned in the sense God has not given them over. Okay? So that's the first, the first aspect of the consequence is the present experience of these people. But there is also, I want to make sure I didn't miss anything here. <laughs> there is also a future experience of those consequences. There is a future experience of that ungodliness. There is a future experience of the sin that people practice, right? And what is that? Well, we had it read for us in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, it says, let me read it again. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is saying, don't miss the point here. You know this. Be aware. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, so when it comes to the future, there is a consequence. And the consequence is that the ungodly, the sinner, is not going to be in the kingdom of God. Right? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexual, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. And if you were to look at this list in Romans 1, you will see, yeah, there are some many parallels here, right? Yes, talking about the same group of people, okay? The ungodly, the sinner, everyone, right? 
So there are strong words. Then Peter says that God makes the point. In Second Peter, Peter is indicating to us that the certainty of his judgment, that God is giving evidence of the certainty of this judgment. Is he's giving evidence of the certainty of this judgment by bringing to the attention of the people that how he has judged the world in the past. So he says, you know, in the past, God has judged the world. People don't get away. And this is the evidence. And he mentions three things in Second Peter chapter 2. Mentions the angels who did not keep their proper abode. You know, abode. And they were judged. Then he mentions the flood. And he mentions also Sodom and Gomorrah. So how do we know that it's a, a for sure a certain day of judgment coming? Well, because God has judged the world in the past. And he gives three things. He did it once. No, he did it twice. No, he did it three times. Also, we know that it's going to be a day of judgment in coming. Um, in, uh, and God says this, this uh, verse here, says, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. Okay, strong words there. And to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment. To keep the unrighteous for punishment. You know what God is saying here? He's saying he's putting a fence around the unrighteous. He's protecting the unrighteous, the ungodly. He's keeping it secure for what? For the day of punishment. In other words, they are not going to escape the punishment that is coming. It is reserved for them. Just like the believers are reserved and they are protected for glory, the unrighteous is protected, reserved, and put in, kept in place for the Day of judgment. Uh, God is presently and actively keeping an eye on the ungodly, reserving them for the day of punishment. You know, we often speak with people, and sometimes one of the objections that people make mentions says, Well, if God, if there is a God and God is holy, how come He doesn't punish the evil that there is in the world? Right? Why doesn't God do something about that? Why does he let it go? Well, that's a temporary situation. Right? God will punish the world. Judgment day is coming. Right? And the other thing that I find interesting too, you know, and I shared with this you before, is when people talk about God punishing the evil and the bad in the world, how or what do they think about themselves? Right? They don't think that they are evil. They don't think that they are bad. You know, so sometimes a good question to ask them when they say that, you would say, would you like God to start with you? <laughs> well, me? I'm not bad. Yeah. <laughs> right? So then you ask some questions, right? Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever looked at another person with lust and things like that? And, and oh, yeah, they are. <laughs> okay. So there is a present punishment and there is a future Punishment, And we see in the book of Revelation, the consummation of the punishment, right? In Revelation 19, 20, says that the beast and the false prophet were cast alive into the lake of fire. The devil was cast alike into the lake of fire in Revelation 20, 10. In 2014, says that death and Hades are cast into the lake of fire. In, verse, uh, in 2015, says anyone not in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. 
And then in 21.8 says, But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So for the ungodly, the extreme ungodly, let's say, right, it's really bad now because God gives them over. But for all the unbelievers, all the unsaved, the future looks really, really, really bad. Now for us in Christ, we say the best is yet to come. But for those who are not in Christ, wow. But let me ask you a question. Who is or who are these ungodly persons? Who are they? Who are these sinners? Have you ever thought about it? Consider that. Who are they? Well, let me tell you who they are. They are our neighbors. They are our co-workers. They are our friends. They are family members. They are some of the people that we don't even know. And perhaps even some here this morning. Who are? These are the people that we come in contact with. That's terrible news. For them to be given up by God in, in this present age, and then in the, in the age to come, to say you are not going to be in the kingdom of God. But God is a good God. And the God that they hate is the God who wants to save them. Isn't that interesting, right? And that's the good news for the ungodly. The good news for the ungodly is that their current and future experiences can be changed. The good news for the ungodly is that provision has already been made for that church, for that change. That provision is already in place. That they can be uh, spared. They can be saved. They can be rescued from the present and from the future wrath of God. Rather than abandonment, they can be restored to the right relationship with God. How is that happen? How is that happen? Well, it happens with the gospel, right? Romans 1.16. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Greek. That's verse 16. And then just a couple of verses down, he begins to talk to the unrighteous about the ungodly. So the gospel is the power of God to salvation for whom? For the ungodly. So these people that God has given up, put aside, who's reserving for judgment, you know that they can be saved. God has not completely rejected them. They can come to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the God they oppose is the God whose power can save them through the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the power of God is expressed in the gospel. And we know the gospel. You know, that's Jesus, the God-man who died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and rose again the third day. And if we come to him, if any, anyone comes to him and puts their trust in that sacrifice... 
for the redemption of the sin, for the forgiveness of the sin. That person now is reconciled to God. That ungodly, the ungodly suffers salvation, right? And that salvation from the present judgment and from the future judgment in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just turn to Christ. You know, the, the gospel is the good news. It's not the good news for the good people. Uh, Jesus says that he came to seek and to save the good people. No. Right? I'm glad that he didn't come to save the good people because I will not be qualified. <laughs> right? Well, all bad things. No, no. Christ came to save and to seek the lost, to seek me, to seek us. Right? So he came to do that for us. And says that salvation, you know, for, is for the Jew and for the Greek. Uh, and for the Greek. Right? So whether the person is, a, is an ungodly Jew or an ungodly Gentile, God still offers salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, so when we look at these people in the world and we say, you know, man, I can't believe, yeah, we, we should cry and, and be bothered by the sins and the things that they promote. But perhaps we even should have a, a righteous anger toward that. At the same time, these are the people who Jesus Christ died for. These are the people that I was part of that. Right? You know, I always talk about believers and having a trash can. Right? Uh, <laughs> I have a trash can. Right? And, and, and I imagine that many of you have your own trash can. Right? And, you know, sometimes my son Jeremy comes to me and says, Papa, how come you don't tell me about when you were growing up and the things that you did? And I say, son, it's not pretty. You know, nobody falls in a trash can and comes out smelling good. <laughs> right? Leave it alone, right? But, yeah, we're all there. We all have a trash can. We all come from an ungodly sinner's background. But these are the people that Jesus died on the cross. Again, going back to... Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, uh, we read this. I'm going to add one verse. Or you do not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, nor Vince Valenti, will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he goes on to say, such were some of you. But you, have been, you were washed, you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, you can say, I like to say, in such was Vince, but he was washed, he was sanctified, and he was justified, right? And such indicates that there is a change. You know, there is a change of behavior that is called repentance, right? If you say such were means you were doing this. You were practicing these things. But you are not doing that anymore. What happened? Well, you came to a personal knowledge with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he made a difference in your life. Right? The gospel has to make a difference in the life. And such were some of you. And it doesn't say, well, you know, you prefer Christ and you're saved, but you continue in the sins of the past. No. <laughs> such were. Right? There is a change that has taken place. And he says that you were washed. 
Meaning that you were cleansed from all moral filth. You were sanctified. You were set apart. You were made holy. You were justified. You were declared righteous. You were declared guiltless. What a great thing God has done for us. God has done that exactly for those who oppose him. God has done that for those who uh, have engaged in a war against him and his word and his son. And yet God says, I'm going to do this for you. Right? In Romans 5, 6 says this. I like these verses. For while we were yet helpless or sinners, some places say, at the right time, Christ died for whom? The ungodly. Right? No, and then Romans 5, 4, 5 says that God justifies the ungodly. And isn't this neat? Isn't it interesting? Isn't this beautiful about the character of God and the love of God? Right? That he has the right to say, you ungodly and unrighteous sinners, you're going to get what you deserve. I'm going to do nothing on your behalf because you wanted it this way, so I'm going to do that for you. You want it your way? Not like the old song that Blue Eyes used to sing. I did it my way. Right? You want to do it your way? You can have it your way, but there are consequences to your way. And yet God intervenes through his son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf. And these verbs that are mentioned here, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. They are in a, in a, in a voice on the, of the verb that what it means is emphasizing that somebody else is doing this action, this activity on these people. Called the middle voice, right? And what they're telling us is these people were not washing themselves. They said, you know, I'm going to cleanse myself up. And I'm going to make myself right for God. I'm going to do all this effort. I'm going to stop, start going to church. I'm going to stop smoking and drinking. I'm going to cut my hair. I'm going to wear a tie. You know, whatever. I'm going to stop cussing. I'm going to clean myself up. And then God is going to say, yeah, now you look good enough. No, 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 no. <laughs> if we do that, we'll never get there, Right? The, the middle voice here was indicating that it's God himself who's doing all this cleansing. It's God himself who's doing all the sanctification. It's God himself who's doing all the justification. And he's doing it how? He's doing it through whom? And he tells us, you know, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of God. So when a person comes to know the Lord Jesus Christ, he gets sealed by the Holy Spirit and God begins a cleansing process. What a great God, right? That those who hate him, he dies for. Those who hate him and want nothing to do with him, these is, is, are the target of his love. Wow, what a God. Let me tell you a story. Some of you heard this story or read this story in Facebook. I like to share it. Is the testimony of another man. And I'm, I'm not going to say his name. But uh, <laughs> those of you who, heard it, who read it before on Facebook, that's okay. But it's great. So I go to get a haircut. 
And normally when I try to, when I go get a haircut, I try to, you know, get a conversation going with a barber and try to share the gospel. I have been able to do that in a few opportunities. So I go to this place and the same thing, right? I'm trying to get a conversation going with the barber. But guess what? The barber is trying to get a conversation going with me. Right? So we're trying both to talk to each other. So <laughs> I, he asked me, he said, where are you from? And he said, well, I told him. So then I asked him, I said, where are you from? He said, well, I'm from Samoa, but then I went to Hawaii. Then I was in California. I think he said I was in Washington State. And, and then we came to Nebraska. So we got to talk, why Nebraska? Why this? Why that? Finally, we start talking about the Lord, right? And this man now is sharing scriptures with me. And I said, great, you know, I'm trying to evangelize him. And he's trying to evangelize me. <laughs> this is great, <laughs> right? So we're doing that for a little bit. Uh, then uh, he told me that he married and had a wife and daughter. And are we talking about God saving the sinners and stuff like that? And he's... He's going, quoting verse right and left all over the place. And then he says to me, he goes, let me show you God's grace. Those were his words. Let me show you God's grace. So he's pulled his smartphone, does a couple of swipes, and shows me a picture. And I said to him, I said, that's a, nice, that's a good looking wife or daughter that you have there. And he says, that is me. Say, I used to be a homosexual. I used to be a transsexual, a drug user, and a drug dealer. But I had a praying mother and a loving father and God answered the prayer. Wow. Wow. This unrighteous man. Right? who is described in Romans chapter 1, came to Christ, and he was cleansed, he was sanctified, and he was justified. And what he's trying to do, trying to tell me about his Savior. Wow. Right? Let me show you God's grace. What a great story. Anyways, so the last thing that I want to share with you a little bit, since we talked about the godly and ungodly, right? Talk about the consequences that are going through. Let's talk about us for a minute. And we are going to get a little bit personal here, a little bit challenging to us, right? Because as I mentioned earlier, these ungodly people, they're our neighbors. They're my coworkers. They're my family members. They're the people that I love, the people that I see, even people that I don't know. Okay? These are the people that God loved for, died for them. These are the people that God loves. So if they are my neighbors and my family members and my co-workers, let me ask the following question. Whose responsibility is to share the gift of God with them? Perhaps not yours. Perhaps it is mine. Right? And in each case, 
is like that, right? You have your neighbors, you have your family members, you have your co-workers who are ungodly people, who some of them are perhaps experiencing the wrath of God right now, but that all of them are going to experience the wrath of God in the future, in eternity, right? And we have received a gift, like the kids demonstrated, right? A gift that God says, you got to share it. <laughs> you got to share it. It's more blessed to give than to receive. So we do have a, a responsibility, right? You know, we are concerned about different things in our life. We are concerned about family and work and, and my retirement plan and, and the sun pump that's not working, right? <laughs> different things that we have need to take care of. But we cannot lose sight that the reason that God left us behind is so that we can reach the ungodly, right? That's what our focus ought to be. And let me tell you, I'm a coward, okay? You say, oh, and now you, Vince, you know, you talk to people. I, I tell you what, sometimes I shake when I need to talk to somebody. Uh, and I need to pray. I need to say, Lord, uh, Give me courage. Well, I have not given you a spirit of timidity, but a power and love and discipline. I've already done that for you. Uh, okay, Lord, so I guess I need to go, right? And it happens the day before yesterday. <laughs> it happens two weeks ago. Uh, let me tell you, every Saturday, uh, some of my kids and, and a couple of guys from the church, uh, uh, we meet together at Hy-Vee's for breakfast. And... Uh, uh, we meet there on Saturdays at 7.30, and some of the guys here go there. And uh, two Saturdays ago, I go there early. And there is always a group of people that I think that they are retired police officers or something like that. They meet together, and as soon as we come in there, you know, you see them, and we greet each other and this and that. Right? And so for a number of years, I've been thinking, you know, we come here every Saturday, and I never say anything to these guys. Or do anything, right? So there's about eight of them this particular Saturday, two Saturdays ago around the table. I'm there a little bit early on purpose. And uh, so I'm, I'm going into and I say, Lord, and I have made some, you know, some gospel cards that I have that I share. I say, Lord, I need to share with these people. I need to at least give them a track. And last week I chickened out. The week before I was thinking about the same thing and I chickened out. Okay, and then I said, Lord, ha, I can do that, and I start praying, Lord, you just uh, uh, give me some power here, you know, some boldness, and, and again, I already done that, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so I put my hand in my pocket, pull out the cards, I walk into the place, go to the guys, and say, Hey, guys, I have something here that I wanted to give you, and it's, you just read the English side, not the Spanish side. So I gave him a track, right? <laughs> And then I said, if you have any questions, you know, we can always talk. But please read this. It's important, right? Well, that was the opportunity. But I tell you what, it was a struggle, okay? Because I'm a chicken, okay? A couple of days ago, I'm at work, and this guy's asking me, it's Thursday, you know, it's Friday. And this guy at work, says, he's going home. And he says to me, Vince, what are you doing this weekend? And I said, well... You know, I'm working tomorrow for yesterday. I'm working tomorrow for Saturday. Then on Sundays, I'm going to church. And after church, we are going to head out to Birmingham, Alabama. Right? 
Oh, okay. And he said, what are you doing, Austin? Austin is his name. I said, what are you doing, Austin? And Austin said, well, I'm going to be working on the house. No, I didn't ask him anything. I'm sorry. So at this point, I, I just walk out, go back. And then I said, man, what a silly guy I am. And uh, so I seek him out and say, Austin, what are you doing this weekend? And he goes, well, I'm going to be working in the house. Okay, great. And uh, so are you a, a church-going person? Oh, no, I never go to church. So, well, do you ever think about eternity and the future? And he goes, yes, I do. So I share the gospel with him. <laughs> right? But again, I had to talk myself into that. right? Because it's amazing that the best news that there is, is the news that I'm ashamed to share. And that's what Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Right? There is something there sometimes keeps us. So here is God, right? Uh, uh, and let me read this as we get to our end time. Read this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, it says this. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. and has committed to us, to me, to each one of us, the word of reconciliation. It's all going to be good, and it's all, or all is going to be really, really, really bad, right? And that depends on the decisions that we make regarding the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's my responsibility, right, to have the boldness, the love, the concern for my neighbors, for my family, for my co-worker, for anybody that I see, that I ought to say sometime, take the opportunity to say, you know, let me tell you about Jesus. Do you think about the future? Okay. The Lord God who saved us by his love, grace, and mercy. The Lord God seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. The Lord God has gifted us with many spiritual gifts. The Lord God has given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. The Lord God gave us access to the throne of grace through prayer. He causes all things to work together for us. He protects us for the day of salvation. He sealed us with the Holy Spirit. He made us a new creation. He gave us the spirit of power, love, and discipline. He forgave our sins. But he also told us, I'm giving you the word of reconciliation. Go and preach the gospel. He has placed on us that responsibility. Let me tell you one more story. This comes from the Bible. Second Kings, chapter 6 and 7. As you read Second Kings, chapter 6 and 7, we find that Samaria is surrounded by the Arameans. They are in a siege. And they have been in a siege for some time. And things are really, really, really bad. They are so bad that people are dying. They have nothing to eat. Okay. It's so bad 
And inflation now is getting high. When there is nothing to eat, inflation goes high. It's so bad, right, that the head of a donkey, I mean, you're going to, first of all, a donkey is an unclean animal. So now they're eating unclean things that the head of a donkey is sold, I think it says, for 80 shekels. That's supposed to be very, very expensive head of a donkey. Now, you're not going to get a lot of meat out of a head of a donkey, right? But that's, that's how bad things are. No, no, wait. Things are much worse. They are so bad that two women decide that they're going to eat their children. And one boils her baby, her son. And then she complaining to the king that the other woman who said who will do, that will do the same doesn't do it. This is how bad things are because they are in a siege. The people are trapped in the city. They are hopeless. They're starving. Things look really, really, really bad. On the other hand, the prophet Isaiah, uh, yeah, Elisha, what did I say? Elisha is there and says to the king in a meeting, he says, you know, tomorrow things are going to change. But the advisor of the king did not believe that. So things are really bad. Now, there happens to be four men who have leprosy. And they are at the gates of the city. Because nobody wants anything to do with people who have leprosy. Right? So they are set apart in a negative manner. Right? And they are ostracized from the population. And they're thinking there and they say, you know, <laughs> things don't look good. Things don't look good. What are we going to do? And they start reasoning and say, you know, I don't know. Say, if we go into the city, we will probably die because things are really bad there. There is no hope for us in going into the city, right? If we stay here, we are going to die for sure too. So I so said, there is only one option. Let's go to the Arameans. Let's go to the camp of the enemy, of the people who are seizing the city. Maybe... They'll show mercy. Right? So they go to the camp. And what do they find? They find the camp empty. What has happened? Well, the night before, the Lord had caused the people to hear the sound of many armies. And they all fled. Right? And so when these four men, these four leprous men rejected, right? Going to the camp, they find nobody there. And said, so, man, this is a feast. So they go into a tent and they get the, the spoils of that tent, right? And they eat and whatever they do. And then they go to another tent and they're all excited. They're all, you know, so filled with joy because, wow, they have food. And now they become wealthy. And then they say to each other, they reason together and they say this. Then they say to one another, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. But we are keeping silent. Think about that. We are not doing right. This is a day of good news. But we are keeping silent. So what did they do? They went back to the city. And they told them that God had provided. Right? I hope you get the illustration. Okay, that there is a world out there. That needs to hear 
the good news. And we cannot keep silent. Let's stand, please. Soul cleansing blood of the Lamb. And the garments spotless are they white as snow? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Heavenly Father, we do thank you.